Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. And I'm reminded that perfect love casts out fear as I listen to that song. And uh, we do have the privilege of experiencing true love that comes from the Lord. So if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in a book that, as I mentioned, I was preaching this book this morning. Someone said, I don't think I've ever heard a message from that book. So we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. So it is Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. And if you have hit Zephaniah or Haggai, you've gone a little too far. So in my Bible, Habakkuk is two and a quarter pages, so you can miss it easily if you are going through those books at the end of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and because of recent events, the Lord has continually brought my personal attention back to the book of Habakkuk in the last few months. And in this book, we see Habakkuk having a question and an answer back and forth with God. And really, I've entitled the message, A Proper Response to Confusion and Trouble, because this prophet was aware that trouble was coming, and he was confused by it. And he was continually praying and asking God for some answers, and he got some answers that he wasn't quite expecting. And then I love chapter 3, it's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. So we're going to do a kind of flyover survey of Habakkuk chapters 1 through 3. And as we look back on the last year, many emotions and words come to our minds, I think two main words that come to my mind are change and uncertainty. And if I have to hear one more commercial that starts off with, in these uncertain times, (laughs) or we are spending more time than ever at home, so buy our product, I am going to scream, right? We've heard this over and over and over again. We're living in times of change and uncertainty. The world knows it, and we as Christians know it. And I have a question for you today. How are you handling the change that's coming in your lives? On grand scale, but even on an individual basis, how are you handling that change? And are you having a proper response if there is confusion and trouble in your life? So maybe you're like my kids, you may be asking the questions about the future. When are we going to be able to go to the Children's Museum again? It's recently open, but they asked that question for a long time. What's going to happen? And maybe you just keep receiving answers like, we don't really know. We don't know what's coming. Right now, things are very uncertain, and they always will be. So we need an anchor point for our souls. We need an anchor point for our thoughts, and Habakkuk needed the same thing, and he's having this question and answer back and forth with God, and maybe as we personalize it tonight, I want to ask you, are you scared that you might get sick or that maybe a loved one would get sick? Do you fear the change that's happening all around you? As we watch this last election cycle, there's unrest, there's turmoil, there's trouble all around us. And so today, as I said earlier, I want to survey a book, the three chapters of Habakkuk, and it's a pretty fun name to say, Habakkuk. How about everybody try it with me? Habakkuk. Very good job. My daughter says, Habakkuk. It's pretty cute, but it's incorrect. So I want to talk to you about how Habakkuk responded when he wasn't sure what God was doing. He was confused, he was troubled. And I want all of us to understand that when we are confused, we can joyfully trust God's power. We can joyfully trust who God is. We don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be sad. But we can have hope. We just heard the song sung by Liz that he brings hope to the lost. But also his word and Jesus Christ brings hope to to believers as well. He is a God of hope. Father, I come to you and I pray that you'd help us to find hope in change and uncertainty. I thank you for this question and answer time that you had with Habakkuk that helps us to have a better and clearer vision of who you are and how we are called to respond to the change that's going on around us. Help us to be people who are anchored, 
who have built our house on a firm foundation, the rock, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us not to be moved, to be shaken by all that we see around us. And Lord, help us to have the proper response to confusion when it comes into our lives as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Habakkuk was a prophet, and as we've said, he recorded this question and answer session that he had between himself and God, and he was witnessing Judah fall into this cycle of sin over and over again. Uh, As normal, they were repeatedly following into this cycle of idolatry, and he is seeing them become more and more wicked. Judah was increasingly turning to idols, as we've already stated. So let's read in verses 2 through 4 of Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And in other other words, Habakkuk is saying, God, I am praying, and you're not answering my prayer. How long do I have to call out unto you, and you're not going to hear me? I see all of these bad things happening around me. All of these people are not living how they're supposed to be living. He's looking at his own nation, at his his own country. They are not doing right. And God, you are not judging them. He makes an accusation, judgment is slacked. It does not go forth. And he's saying, God, I'm seeing all this wickedness around me and, and you're not doing anything. You're not taking care of this. The bad people are surrounding the good people and taking over. And as I read through this book of Habakkuk in the past, a, a thought came to my mind and some things that we can learn about our own sinful, fallen human nature. When we are confused, we tend to question God's methods. When difficult things are coming into our lives, we tend to question God, specifically His message, His character, who He is, what He's doing, why He's doing what He's doing. And as you look at the world around you, do you feel like Habakkuk did? God, how long do I have to cry to you and you're not going to hear me? I see all of, these, all of this wickedness going on around me and you're doing nothing. And Habakkuk claims that justice is not going forth in Judah. He makes it very clear in verse 2 that he feels like he is calling out to God for help and he's not answering. So let's personalize this. Maybe you look around and you think, hey, you know what? God is kind of doing this wrong. In these uncertain times, what is God doing? Judgment is slacked. Why are the wicked people getting away with the things they're getting away with? God, I see a problem and you aren't fixing it. God, why don't you just make all of this go away? Why don't you just put an end to all of the problems we're seeing? Why are you allowing bad things to happen? So we see this big scale, but maybe let's personalize it a little bit more. God, why are you allowing this into my life? My neighbor is not trying to live right, and they're not having all the troubles and confusion and problems that I am having. How long do I have to pray before you'll hear me? And if, if you haven't yet, at some point, you will come to a place where you, you are confused about what God is doing, personally. What are you doing in my life, Lord? Why are you allowing this to come into my life? Why is this so hard? Why did I lose someone that I love at a very inconvenient time for me? Why can't 
I go to church. Why can't I spend time with my friends? Why can't I do all of these things that I normally do? God, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Have you ever done something that caused someone to walk into the room and just look at you with a confused look on their face and say, what are you doing? (laughs) I remember walking down the hallway several years ago and one of my children was walking down the hallway with their tongue out, licking the wall, the whole way down to their bedroom. And I just was stopped dumbfounded and thought, what are you doing? (laughs) But in their mind, they had a perfectly good reason for why they were licking the wall. And when we see bad things happen around us and we're confused, we might pray and ask God, what are you doing? This doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't understand And on a much bigger scale, God has a perfectly good reason for why he's allowing what is happening to happen. When you are in the center of what you believe is God's will for your life and there are money problems, how will you respond? When you break up with the person who you think the Lord has for you to marry, how are you going to respond? When you are a family member struggling with an illness, how are you going to respond? You may repeatedly be bringing requests before God over and over again and feel like, God, how long do I have to ask these questions and I'm not going to hear from you? Oh Lord, how long will I cry and thou wilt not hear? So how did Habakkuk respond when he was asking these same questions? We'll see how his attitude changed throughout the rest of the book, but God answers Habakkuk's questions starting in verse 5. Here come some answers for him. And to summarize, God tells Habakkuk that he is raising up the Chaldeans to punish Judah for their sin. So Habakkuk says, why are you not punishing these wicked people? And God says in verse 5, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. They're going to punish Judah. And that he was going to accomplish something that Habakkuk would would marvel at and not not even be able to understand. He says in verse 5, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. I'm going to do something amazing. So let's read Habakkuk's response to God's answer. He even explains it more. But let's read on in verse 12 and 13. When Habakkuk responds, he says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? He says, God, I know you're all-powerful, I know you're sovereign, I know you're in charge. He says a lot of good things about God, but he started to question if God was, was good. How so? Habakkuk was almost angry at God because in his mind, he did not understand why God was using, again in his mind, a more wicked nation to punish, in his mind, a more righteous nation. Why are you going to allow the Chaldeans to come in and punish us, Judah? Hey, we are better than they are. You shouldn't be using them to punish us, he says in verse 13. He did not like God's answer to his prayer. God, why aren't you judging Judah? Why aren't you taking care of wickedness? And God says, hey, I have a plan to do so. And and Habakkuk says, I don't like that so much. (laughs) He starts to question it. And I remember one time when I was in second grade, we went outside to recess and it was during the winter time and we were supposed to wear our winter coats. And I went out to play soccer during that recess time, and I got warm. 
So I just did what any normal second grader did when they got hot. I took it off. But meanwhile, my coat off, but while, meanwhile, my, my teacher was talking to some of the other students. They asked if they could take their coat off, and she said no. I was completely unaware of this, but all of a sudden, towards the end of recess, I just hear my name being yelled across the soccer field on a megaphone. And it was not a happy voice. And so in my school, we had in elementary what was called tallies. And we got a tally mark if we did something wrong, and I was about to get the, the dreaded red tally. It was worth four tallies. It was for intentional disobedience. And in my mind, I thought, I did not intentionally disobey. I didn't know. I didn't hear. I didn't know that you told the other students not to take off their coats, and I was very confused. I was upset, and I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't like my teacher's answer when I explained that to her. But you may come to the place where you are struggling and you look around and it seems like everyone else is doing just fine. Hey, those are the ones who intentionally disobeyed, teacher. I didn't do that and they didn't get demerits. You may come to the place where you ask, why is God blessing the wicked? Why are they winning? I'm trying to do what's right, but all of these difficult things keep coming my way. I can't seem to catch a break. I think we can learn from this that we have got to learn not to compare ourselves to other believers. We have got to learn not to compare ourselves to unbelievers, not to compare ourselves to other people. God has given us everything that we need to accomplish his will for our life. So Habakkuk has some proper theology in this first chapter. He saw that God was holy, that he was sovereign in those verses. But again, he, he begins to question God's methods and even God's answers to his prayer. And in doing so, he failed to see God's goodness. God, that doesn't seem like a good solution to my problem. He failed to see that even hard and confusing times are ordained for our good. So what will you do when you don't understand God's methods? And then you don't really agree with God's answers. Because through Habakkuk's response, we see a tendency in our own hearts. We are, when we are confused, we tend to question God's answers. And therefore, we question his character. God, are you, are you really good? Do you really know what you're doing in this situation? Habakkuk had been praying in his concern, in, about his concerns, and he was expecting and wanting a certain answer to his prayer. How often do you and I do that? We pray about something that's a concern for us. We almost make a demand of God, and we start to tell God how he can serve us instead of asking the other way around, how can we serve you? So how are you going to respond when you're wanting and expecting a certain solution from God and he does not do it in your way or in your timing? When you're confused about it, how are you going to respond when he doesn't answer your prayers about our country in the way that you particularly wanted? In these situations, can we not realize that God's ways are much better than our ways? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And He is a good and wise God. We have got to be in awe of His attributes. We may not understand it, but He's God and we're not. God does not always answer our prayers the way that we want or the way that we expect. In chapter 1, we saw that Habakkuk had learned that God is holy, that He's sovereign. He can't even look on iniquity but he didn't really let that sink in, Habakkuk didn't, to change the way that he actually lived it out. He had good theology, 
but he didn't actually let it change his life. So is that how you are living as a believer? You know facts about God. You know who he is. You agree with pastor on Sunday mornings when he talks about God's attributes, but then throughout the week you fail to let that change how you live. And you're not living according to those facts. Now, if I was to tell you right now that I see a mouse scurrying around between the pews, I think without a shadow of a doubt, I would see several people, probably male and female, (laughs) standing on the pews screaming at pitches that my ears could not register. (laughs) Maybe some windows shaking out of fear because of the sound of, of all the screams. And you jumping and screaming, but afterwards I just say, hey, I was just kidding. And you look at me and say, yeah, 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 I didn't believe you. You try to play it really cool, but I'm like, you did believe me. You know how I know? You jumped up and you screamed. Your actions proved that you believed me. And if you really believe that God is good and that he's in control and more powerful than all of the bad things that come into your life, it will change the way that you live. We say we believe a lot of things, but do our actions prove that we actually believe what we say we believe? Habakkuk was struggling through some of these questions as well. He was struggling to live it out. He was wrestling with God. And it'll change the way you live if you actually believe the attributes of who he is. You won't be afraid. You won't be angry at God when he doesn't give you the answer that you want or expect. God is good. He is powerful. And he's in control. We ought to trust him even when we are confused. When you are confused, you can joyfully trust God's power, and I'm going to add to this, and his goodness. The book of Psalms says he is good, and he does good. Do you actually believe that? Is that going to change your life tomorrow? Or are you going to be afraid and discouraged because you don't believe that God is actually good and does good? There's a woman, her name was Imelda Marco, she's known as the first lady of extravagance. She did not allow the reality of of how much wealth she had to actually live, be lived out. She lived way outside of her means, even though she knew that she did not have right to the money that she was spending. She was the wife of a Philippine dictator, and when she left the mansion in in the 1986, she left with 3,000 pairs of shoes when she fled the country. In two decades... The Marcoses are believed to embezzle $10 billion from the people of the Philippines. Her most famous shopping spree occurred in 1983. She went to New York, Rome, and Copenhagen. She spent $7 million in 90 days. In a single day in New York, she spent $3 million. She purchased all kinds of $2 million of jewelry. She spent $35,000 on renting limousines. In Rome, she purchased a $3.5 million Michelangelo painting. Her travel expenses were extravagant. She once spent $2,000 alone in one stop on chewing gum in the San Francisco airport. One time she left Rome and she told them to turn around because she forgot to buy her favorite type of cheese and inconvenienced everyone on the plane. She did not allow reality to actually affect the way she lived. She did not have that money to live the way that she lived. And you and I must allow God's sovereignty and his power to affect the way that we live. We've got to live by faith and in trust. 
Habakkuk knew that God was holy and could not look at sin. This is why he did not understand why God was allowing sin to go unpunished, why he was allowing wickedness to continue in Judah. So now he does not understand why God was allowing a nation that was in need of punishment, the Chaldeans, to punish in his mind a more righteous nation. And as a side note, the exact opposite was true. The whole book of Amos is that Israel was worse because they knew better than the nation surrounding them. The New Testament says it like this for us. He that knoweth do right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given much from God. Many of us have been taught many things from spiritual leaders. We've heard many Sunday schools. We've heard many sermons. We'd have many people pour into our lives. And we've had opportunities to read and hear God's word. We are called to continue thou and the things which we have learned, to actually allow what we know in our head to be lived out in truth in our lives. So when you have a situation in your life that you do not understand, first of all, recognize that God is sovereign as Habakkuk did, but how are you going to respond when your prayers are not answered the way that you want or expect your your prayers to be answered? Will you still bow to God's holiness, to his sovereignty, and his goodness? Trusting God is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? especially when we're confused and problems in our lives. Because next, Habakkuk responds by waiting for another answer from God. God, how could you be dealing with the problem in this way? And he waits. And to summarize again in chapter 2, God says that judgment ultimately will come for the Babylonians. Hey, Habakkuk, don't worry about about the Chaldeans. I will take care of it. But in the meantime, he says in chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. The whole book of Habakkuk is a very popular form of Hebrew poetry. It kind of looks like a pyramid. It leads up and it crescendos to the main point of the book. And the main point of Habakkuk is found in chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. It is all leading up to that. And then the, crescent, the decrescendo, he explains how that should affect our lives. In this case, it's that verse, the just shall live by faith. He compares the proud to the just in chapter 2, verse 4. Let's read it. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The proud trust themselves, but we've got to trust God. And we've got to understand that pride in our lives, a lack of trust is a symptom of pride. When we don't trust God to answer our prayers in the way we want him to or expect him to, we think we have a better idea of how God should be dealing with man, that's pride. Complete trust in God is a result of right belief in who he is and what he does. And we've got to anchor our lives to those truths. In verse 9, 12, 15, and 19, we don't have time to read them all. But Habakkuk finally acquiesces and he agrees with God and he pronounces woe upon the Babylonians because he sees that judgment coming for them. But the chapter ends with Habakkuk reminding us and God's people in Judah That God rules from heaven and we must worship him in submission. God is in control even when we're confused and don't understand. So again, question for you, what will you do when you don't understand what God is doing in your life? When he answers your prayers differently than you want him to, the just shall live by faith. Completely trust your heavenly father who did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. And with him, he freely gives us all things. 
So we've seen that we tend to question God's methods. We tend to question His answers when we don't understand what He's actually doing. But how should we respond? Completely trust Him and trust His power, His wisdom, His jealousy, His grace, His forgiveness, His goodness, His sovereignty. All of those attributes we've been talking about on Sunday mornings with Pastor Phelps. How should we respond when we are confused? We should praise God's wisdom and power. We get to chapter 3 and Habakkuk kind of explodes into prayer and praise towards who God is. In the beginning of chapter 3, he praises God and we must have the same responses in our lives that Habakkuk did when bad things enter our own personal realm of experience. Look at verses 17 through 20 with me. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but these are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 20 says this, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. And if you pause there, Habakkuk is painting a pretty bleak picture of what he sees as the future for Judah. Verse 18, here's his response and his choice. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, like deer's feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Habakkuk lived in a very agricultural society. They depended on all these things that he just talked about in that passage, the fig tree, uh, all of the things to blossom and the harvest. They expected those things to happen. They relied on them. And he says, even if all of these things do not happen, he said, I will rejoice in the Lord. He would joy in the God of his salvation. If God does not fulfill all of your finite expectations, are you willing to trust God so much that you will make the same choice that Habakkuk did. Knowing that he's powerful, that he's in control, and that he is good. And that he is all wise. What could these verses look like for us? Although I will not be able to put food on the table. Although there's no way for me to provide for myself or my family. Although I will lose my job. Although I will fail out of school. Although I will not get into the school that I hoped for. Although my health declines rapidly, we can make this list go on and on. All of these things that we naturally expect to happen, that we tend to look to for our comfort, our joy, and our foundation, and our security, even if all of those things do not happen, will you choose to joy in the God of your salvation? Because of who he is. Habakkuk's joy did not come from comfort or even from understanding. And you and I can have joy and rejoicing, even when we're confused and we don't understand and God is not answering our prayers the way that we think we want Him to or expect Him to. He knew that He was still going to suffer. He knew that this judgment was coming His way. He knew that hard times and confusion were going to come, but His joy came from God Himself. And so often in our lives, we try to find joy in something else. We try to find joy and satisfaction elsewhere. 
And we hew out cisterns that can hold no water. They are broken, as Jeremiah says. Where are you trying to find your satisfaction and joy? Because when we get tempted to be discouraged and be in despair, we need an anchor point, and that anchor point is God Himself. He is our constant. He never changes. We can expect Him to always respond in the same way. He is where we ought to get our hope. Habakkuk, even though he struggled, he knew God. And he made his choices depending on who God was. He was in awe of his attributes. We have a small view of God when we ignore his word and what he tells us about himself in his word. Do you look at the circumstances around us in this world and think, you know what, this is going to overwhelm even God himself? That is having a very small view of God because we have not been spending time in God's Word to see how big He actually is. So will you commit now, with the knowledge that hard times are here, they're going to come in the future, to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Even though your circumstances may change, the just shall live by faith. I read a story about a man... He was a principal of a school. His name was Principal Rainey. His students called him by that name. And one of the children remarked that she believed he went to heaven every night because he was so happy every day. And he once used a metaphor in his writings and as he talked to his students that I think will be very helpful tonight as we think about a Christian's joy. He said this, Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. I'm going to read that again. Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. So question for all of us tonight, including myself, is the king in residence in your heart tonight? Is he truly sitting on the throne of your heart? Or have you replaced him in idolatry with someone or something else? Someone or something else that you're trying to find joy in that is not going to satisfy and it's going to be an empty cistern which can hold absolutely no water. So you may be asking, what do I actually put my faith in? I'm supposed to live by faith and in the Old Testament, they had faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do through the promised Messiah. That he was going to deliver Israel. That they were his, his, his chosen people. And today we must place our faith in the fact that God has already done what he said he's going to do through his son Jesus Christ who is the Messiah. And as we look, about, look back on all the things that Christ has done for us in the detailed manner that he fulfilled prophecy, we can look forward with hope that God is going to do what he promises that he's going to do in our future. Our future is not up for debate if we're in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Our future is set in Him. So when you face times of confusion and trouble, how should you respond? I'm going to ask you to hold your place in Habakkuk and go back in your Bibles to Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 is an encouraging passage. We're going to read verses 17 through 20. Psalm 34. And again, it talks about God's sovereignty his protection, his power to keep in the lives of his people. And in fact, let's read verse 8 as well. It's a very well-known verse. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Now skip down with me to verse 17. 
It's going to sound very familiar and parallel to the passages we've read tonight. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. So we see in verse 8, taste and see that God is good as Habakkuk did. We see in verse 17, God hears, God delivers us. This is who our God is. Verse 18, God is close to us. If we're close to him in humility, humble ourselves, God will be close to us. Verse 19, God does not promise us a trouble-free life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But there's a promise given to us in verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. And the deliverance that we look for may not be in the way that we want or expect, but the just shall live by faith. And verse 20 is a promise given to those who are righteously trying to pursue the Lord. But in John chapter 19 and verse 36, John actually quotes and applies this verse specifically to Jesus Christ after his death. That not one of his bones was broken. And it highlights the keeping power of our God, even in the times of confusion and trouble. The reason I read it, and I believe the reason it's placed here and applied to Jesus, is that it absolutely proves that God is in control. We often hear this verse as a prophecy about Christ, and it is because the Scripture interprets it that way. But think about that in context of Calvary. At the moment where everything seemed like Everything was spiraling out of control. Satan thought, yes, I am putting Jesus Christ on the cross and he is going to die. He thought he was having some sort of victory in a battle between him and God. In a moment when everything was spiraling out of control, this is proof that God was still in control. His plan was being executed. And as at that time when it seemed like everything was was spiraling, it wasn't. It was all in God's plan. And as we've seen today, God is completely holy and he cannot look upon sin. But there's a problem for, for every single one of us in this room. We have, none of us are righteous, no, not one. And our sin has the consequences of death. We've all fallen short of God's glory, but Jesus took that penalty so that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be delivered. God showed us his love towards us, and that while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And in that moment when everything seemed like it was spiraling out of control, Jesus is our deliverance. And I just meditated on this passage, and I think about the control that God had in that moment on the cross. And Jesus, who was God, was there and said, I will allow you to put that crown of thorns on my head, the very symbol of sin. I will allow you to spit in my face. I will allow you to mock me, to make fun of me. I will allow you to scourge me. I will allow you to nail me to this cross, and I willingly give up my life, but I will not allow you to break my bones because I am still in control. In a moment when everything seemed like it was spiraling out of control, God was still had his hand over all of it. And we've got to remember that truth in our lives. And God promises us that he will keep us. Our future is set in him. So turn back to Habakkuk. How did Habakkuk respond? 
He said, even though all of these things that I'm expecting to happen and wanting to happen do not happen, I will rejoice because he is the God of my salvation. He's in control. God is my strength. And when you meditate on who God is, can that be a testimony in your life that God is my strength, not my circumstances? He will make my feet like hind's feet. What is he talking about in that passage? A hind is a deer. And if you've ever been out in, in the West, I've been out to Montana, and you see some of these deers, these deer, that's grammatically correct, deer that are up on these mountains and they're running up quickly and the rocks are just being pushed down as they move up these cliffs and they have sure footing despite very unsure circumstances and surroundings. And when things seem like they are crumbling beneath us, Habakkuk understands that God will make my feet like Heinz feet. He will give us a solid foundation. He will give me stability. God's faithfulness gave Habakkuk sure footing despite that coming invasion from the Chaldeans. The prayer in this passage that started with fear and trembling and discouragement ended with joy and triumph. The just shall live by faith. And as we take this to our New Testament context, faith in Christ prepares us for every event that comes into our lives. We cannot forget that even when we're confused and there's trying circumstances that God is in control. He is our strength. He will make our feet like Heinz feet. He'll give stability. And when you are confused, you can joyfully trust God's power and his goodness. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. What you've heard has been an encouragement to you. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. And we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.